Hello and welcome to the Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. How are you doing this week, Ian? So-so. <laughs> Any particular reason or something that you'd rather not talk about? Women. You've been um, money-grabbing this week, haven't you? Money-grabbing? Yeah, you've um, set up a Tapping Up Patreon, haven't you? I'm mean, testing things out. I know our listeners love to love the podcast and uh, looking to uh, uh, expand it a little bit. I've uh, I've reached out to uh, a few um, MMA uh, talent agencies to see if we can get some MMA uh, fighters on it to uh, add to the uh, experience for listeners with some interviews. So uh, waiting for a few emails back. So hopefully in the future we'll uh, be able to diversify from just our tones to add some some interviews and a bit more uh content into the the podcast a bit how much is the uh the patreon monthly subscription uh it is four pound fifty but you, how, how I, fucking much four pound fifty coming from the man that what do you pay about 15 quid a quid a month on fucking only fans i'm sure you can oh, just spend... i could get a monthly subscription to only fans i could get two tesco meal deals although Tesco Meal is probably going to cost him um, very, very shortly. Uh, in all seriousness, Tapping Up's main episodes will, of course, always be free. We can guarantee that and go on record and saying that, even though obviously we're going to take off significantly in the coming months and, and next year, we're going to be bigger than The Athletic. Um, but if you did want to support us, please feel free to subscribe to the Patreon and we'll always look to update it with some additional articles, some additional double taps and some more. We might even get uh, Ian to get his knob out and put some pictures on there if that's what the, the tapping up viewers are liking. £4.50 is a bargain for that. But um, <laughs> I, f- I feel like it's just a chance to diversify a bit. Well, the, the double taps, uh, we're going to start doing a few more of those on the little in-depth subjects and we'll put them on the Patreon to give our viewers a bit more exclusive content and um, I'll get me a pen and paper out and we'll start writing some articles on there as well. So it's a work in progress. Uh, I don't expect anyone to be uh, signing up so far and we're at a big fat zero after five days of opening it, but we have had a few views. So people people have been coming across it, but as you say, if anyone wants to help contribute and, uh, uh, contribute the very small sum of £4.50 to help make this better and give um, a better experience and more content, then please, by all means, go on Patreon and uh, sign up. For just £4.50 a month, you can get rid of Ian's shitty mic and pay off his mortgage. Um, anyway, straight into it. a long time if I need a fucking <laughs> lot of Patreon fucking followers to pay off my mortgage, mate, so I can't see that happening, but um, we digress. UFC yeah. fight night. Did you watch it? Not a single fight. No, I, I didn't either. I'll be honest. Um, it's a very good advertisement for our Patreon. Join our fantastic podcast where we talk in depth about all these things. Did you watch it? No, no, no. If I, could I mean, let's be fair. Like again, we, we are the first to often slate fight nights. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a Holly Home fan. I'm not going to pretend I'm not. But that was the only fight, and even that, the speed and the way that she got finished. Couldn't be asked. So very, I couldn't even tell you the last UFC event full stop. I haven't watched a single fight. So I think that says more about the lineup and the card and just the UFC seem to have gone into a little bit of a craze of just their roster's too big. They're just churning out events that are not watchable. Uh, I go back, hark back to the old days where uh, events were far less 
frequent. They're all numbered events. You're talking maybe one every every sort of two or three months, um, probably more like two months. But there'd be two or three fights guaranteed that you want to watch. Some of these fight nights that they're churning out at the moment, just even the fight like that one, even the fight propping it up, Holly Holm versus um, Myra Bueno, I had no interest in watching. So um, the only thing I would... I'm going to say you're being left behind with uh, terminology, aren't you? You had a big hissy fit about this this week. Well, well shit's changed fucking from, you know, again, I, I like to think of myself as a, a BJJ aficionado. Um, uh, I did obviously will always read what happens despite not watching it. And um, I, I haven't watched it. I've got to be clear. So, uh, but I, I, I read that um, she was finished with a ninja choke. And I'm like, the fuck is a ninja choke? I've never, ever heard of that in my life. So I did a little bit of Googling, saw a few pictures. It's a standing guillotine. That would, so I don't, I don't know where on earth that has suddenly come from as a new name, whether that's a 10th planet thing. I don't know if you know about 10th planet and Eddie Bravo. Uh, he has his own sort of system of jujitsu and has all of these crazy names for more standard moves it's got things called like the lockdown. There's one called the electric chair. The most infamous one from from Tenth Planet that you see used a few times in the UFC. I think there's only been two or three finishes. Is the twister? That is a an Eddie Bravo move. Um, but I don't know if it's one of those. But yeah, I got to be honest. I saw that and I was like, since when the fuck has that become a ninja choke? That's a standing guillotine. The only thing that I saw from this fight night, and again, I didn't watch any of it. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Stella Nunez, her latest loss came in probably the worst way possible. So the Brazilian has suffered three consecutive defeats since joining MMA's premier promotion ahead of her fight with Victoria, I think it's Durakova, uh, at UFC Vegas 77 on Saturday night that we were just talking about. Uh, after just 34 seconds, she's on the floor. She's screaming because she's she's lost. But she's not screaming just because she's lost. She's screaming because uh, she had suffered a horrendous injury. So Dudakova shot for a takedown very early in round one. And when Nunes goes to balance her arm on the fight, she instead <laughs> dislocates her elbow. And I don't know if you've seen the x-ray of this. It is fully lodged out. It's, it's horrendous. It's like sticking out. Um, it's a bad, bad, bad injury. Bad, I mean, that, that's a year recovery easy, that one. Well, I'll be honest. I don't know if she's going to fight again at UFC because she's clearly not up to the standard and she might just get booted off the the promotion. Um, My question to you on this, worst or nastiest MMA injuries that you can recall? Um, Well, you'd prepped me. We can't lie and I can't pretend that this is off the fly, but I I, I did my own uh, little bit of a a top five uh, on this, given that, that there have been some pretty horrendous injuries um, in no real, uh, maybe it's an order, no particular order. In some ways, this is more five particular injuries that I recall being pretty horrendous. Um, undoubtedly, the number one has to be, and I mean, again, we could always post on socials some pictures or I would at least encourage um our, our listeners to do a, a bit of Googling and, and uh, some YouTube and watch some of these fights. Number one has to be Michael Venom Page versus uh, Evangelista Santos. This was the one where he took an absolute monster flying knee as he bowed down into it, square into the head, 
and it fractured his skull. That, for me, is the worst by an absolute mile in terms of injuries. And um, I don't think he's ever fought again afterwards. It was a horrendous injury. Just challenging that. And I've, I hadn't seen that, um, admittedly, before Ian had showed me a few months back. And I remember you showing me the, the pictures and stuff. And the, the x-rays. The oh, they're absolutely horrendous. And if you haven't seen them, definitely take a look at them. And I'm sure Ian will bang it up on the Twitter shortly after this episode goes live. Um, surely Michael Bispin has to be up there. Now, obviously, he didn't necessarily lose his eye directly in the fight. No one gouged it out. But was it not as a result of the fight with Victor Belfort? This was the prime. Uh, it's not in my top five. I've got to be honest, because it, again, it wasn't, as I understand it, a direct consequence of that. But it, this was TRT Victor uh, is his beast, who was a uh, an absolutely different level when he was allowed to take TRT. Suddenly turned him from a fading force into a an absolute monster at lightweight. And he did an absolutely incredible, um, I can't, don't think it was a spinning kick, but a, a side kick to Bisping's face and basically detached his retina. And then it, I think it was an accumulation of the fights afterwards that Bisping um, had problems. And then Bisping kept it on the quiet. Everybody knew he had an eye injury, but not quite the severity. And it wasn't until he retired, there's that infamous bit on his own podcast where he pops his eye out. So it was that severe. He's actually got a fake glass eye from the injury. But I, I haven't got that one on my list because I don't think you could say it was a direct result of just that kick. It was an accumulation of the damage he took afterwards. But definitely a, an honourable mention you, you could give. Um, second one for me, and one of the ones that I remember watching live and being absolutely gutted because this is when... Everybody knows my love for for Anderson Silva and when he was at the peak of his powers uh, fighting Chris Weidman for the middleweight title, um, swung a kick, Weidman checked it and Anderson Silva broke his leg. And um, it was one of those where he he kicks, he hits it. You see the break, clearly doesn't quite realise what's happened. And as, as you often do with a kick, you kick. You, fall, you move your leg back to land on it as you're standing leg and it just crumpled and folded and it was a horrendous leg break. And to be quite honest, I don't think Anderson was ever the same after that. That was definitely the, 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 the start of his decline. That was the end of his, if I'm not mistaken, he won 11 title fights in a row, which I think either was still a record or may have been recently beaten um, uh, in, by... Um, was it Usman maybe that, that that took that? But somebody else at least uh, um, equaled that in terms of uh, title um, defences. But that was a horrendous one. Um, the, the real irony of it was my next one on there is then the same person that did karma, if you like, that checked that kick, Chris Weidmund, suffered the exact same injury against Uriah Hall. So exactly the same happened. He went for a kick. Uriah Hall checked it. And it was literally, if you watch them side by side, probably, you know, uh, on a screen, it was exactly the same. And he suffered a horrendous uh, break. And again, was probably never the same fighter. I mean, the disgusting part about this one is, and I'm sure anyone who has been involved or watched or even had a glance at UFC has been 
um, pushed towards watching this video. The most disgusting part about it is after he, he shatters his leg, he obviously has the adrenaline running through him, he hasn't quite realised what's happened, Try and it is quite quick as well, in all fairness. He tries to step back onto that said leg, and obviously in the replay, his leg is flapping about before he tries to put the weight on it and he just crumples it is oh, absolutely it's, horrendous it's a shocker it, 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 it's definitely a shocker i mean <clears throat> one of my favorite ones i've got to mention that i can't i would be amiss because i've talked about it to you many times on the podcast I, i've showed you over and over again but is um uh, uh, frank mir versus antonio nagera so the nagera brothers uh you had Antonio Nogueira, and I forget uh, who was affectionately known as Big Nog, uh, and his brother, who was fought uh, a slightly smaller weight, was Little Nog, um, and he suffered a horrendous broken arm from a Kimura, which, again, I, I'm sure I have put this one up on the podcast before. Um, it's one of the most beautiful pieces of jiu-jitsu sequences I've ever seen. So you've got Frank Mir on the floor looking for an arm bar. Uh, Big Nog is, an, again, both of them super high level black belts, does an incredible job of what you think getting out of it. And there's a really nice sequence where they roll. Frank Mir being that the ultimate pro is rolls with it, carrying on and then just snaps his arm. And um, that one put that one put uh, Nagera out for probably about eight months. But that was, again, in terms of if you if you are a jiu-jitsu aficionado, you won't see many better sequences of attacking, defending, following it through, and then a finish as well. So I had to I had to put that one in. It's also one of those where if you look at it from a, and you always quote this, a warrior's point of view, he quite clearly had no way of getting out of that. But it was, it was never tapping. Yeah, it was as simple as I'm, I'm refusing to tap. You've got to snap that my is that Brazilian mindset of someone like Big Nog, like Black Belt, been in so many fights, was never ever going to tap, and he, he had plenty ample opportunity to do it. Again, warrior spirit went out on his sword. Never happening. Bang, broke his arm. And they are the times where you kind of look back and you can't help, on one hand, appreciate the toughness and the durability and the pure fuck you, I'm not going to tap. But equally, is it worth putting you going through that injury and putting you out of fighting and your your, your main income for the length of time that it did? So I, I still think that that one, as much as I appreciate Nagera for what he did, um, he undoubtedly should have tapped. Well, we, I mean, the comparison there, and I think we also mentioned this shortly after we went to see UFC 286 was to Mohamed Makayev because the, the leg lock that he was stuck in is probably one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen live in my life. And he refused to tap and obviously went on to win that fight. Uh, but I think, it, did he get an MCL tear? And he were out yeah, yeah, a pretty a serious injury. Months. Hasn't fought since. Uh, again, yeah. toughness, adrenaline running through him. But got away with it in that way that at least didn't break or, you know, and again, leg, to be honest with you, leg bars are considerably worse than arm bars. Legs take longer to fix than arms. But um, that's definitely probably the worst arm break I've ever seen. There is one other you could say, which again, I haven't got this on my list, but this is just from memory. I'll throw it in there for uh, for, for a, um, a highly recommended one was Tim Sylvia for, and I forget who it was, but I think it might have been Frank Mir as well. Frank Mir broke his arm in an arm bar. And 
um, this one, Tim Sylvia actually tried to fight on. He's going to the referee, I'm fine. And it was Herb Dean, if I forget. Herb Dean's like, look at your fucking arm. It's hanging off like you can't fight and actually had to physically stop him fighting from carrying on with a broken arm. So um, honourable mention to that. Final one I've got to make up my top five. Um, I just thought this one was kind of one of those ones that could have completely changed the MMA landscape in some ways was John Jones's broken toe. So this was against Chael Sonnen in his title fight um, for the light heavyweight title. And um, he didn't even realise until the post-fight interview with Joe Rogan that he'd broken his toe. And I tried to show you this. We had a quick chat about this this uh, today and I tried to find the video to show you how horrendous it was. It seems they've clipped it where you can't see it because there's a bit where John Jones is being interviewed by Rogan and Rogan's suddenly like, oh, You've broken your toe, John. And he looks down (laughs) and his toe is absolutely mangled. And you can see it's one of those adrenaline dump moments where Jones doesn't realise he's completely fine. And then all of a sudden he pulls a little bit of a whitey and they bring out a stool for him. And he sits down on the stool when he he realises. But why I say it could have changed the landscape, that happened, I think, in at the start of the round that Jones actually ended up winning. There is no way in the world if the ref had seen that at the time, that wouldn't have been stopped for a refer- uh, a doctor's stoppage. And uh, Jones would have lost the title. Sonnen would have been the, the the champ. And John Jones's legacy would not be what it probably is now. So that one purely for the the impact and the, 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 the how it could have changed the GOAT's status and the fact that he would have had a genuine loss on his uh, record a genuine loss, Dr. Stoppage, still a bit harsh compared to his um, disqualification against Matt Hamill, but that one makes up my top five. Former UFC interim title challenger Kevin Lee has announced his retirement from mixed martial arts via social media on Tuesday. Uh, Lee, who is 30 years old, leaves the sport with an overall professional record of 19 and 8. All but seven of those bouts occurred under the UFC banner where he first signed in 2014. He posted to make a long story short, I've decided to retire from MMA and the UFC. It's been 12 years, 12 long years of me being the best fighter that I can be and a lot of hard work and a lot of dedication for me to try to be the best fighter in the world. When I look back on it, I had a hell of a career. Uh, His last appearance resulted in a 55-second submission loss to, I'm going to try and pronounce this, uh, Rina Fakretdinov at uh, UFC Fight Night on July the 1st in Las Vegas. Yeah, and I can't, I mean, good nickname, the Motown Phenom was his nickname. (laughs) So uh, always, uh, always had respect for Kevin Lee there. He had a point where he was definitely rising up. And as you say, uh, I think at the interim title, I can't help but feel the manner of that loss and, uh, you know, a, a less than a minute destruction must have played into that decision. Had he been a bit more competitive, maybe lost by decision, maybe he wouldn't have got to that point where he said enough's enough. But um, good fight up, good Average is a harsh word to call, you know, was upper tier, but was never elite. But um, sad news, and we wish him the very best in his endeavours in the future. Um, I've got something next, but I've been told to just insert surprise question mark in here. So take the floor. 
got a little surprise for you, haven't I? So uh, I'd noticed this pop up quite late in the day and I'd said to you, stay off social media. I want this to come as a, as, as a little surprise. So um, UFC uh, 294 has been announced today in Abu Dhabi. Um, we have two fights that um, I'm not quite sure anyone would have necessarily called, but I, I thought you would find particularly interesting. So for the lightweight title, we have Islam versus Charles Oliveira 2 has been announced. So put okay. pay to the uh, Volk-Islam uh, rematch, at least for the short term. So Oliveira is getting his second chance at Islam. So I thought that was worth a nice little uh, surprise to chuck in there. The co-main event is Paolo Costa versus the boogeyman Kamaev, who finally has a fight. Interesting. That so is quite an interesting one. They were both announced and admittedly, I like Costa. There was a point where he's another one that if you just looked at him, you'd be like, is he the son of Hercules? He looks like an absolute tank and a specimen. Um, if it wasn't for USADA, you would be very much of the view he must be on steroids because he's absolutely ripped. But yeah, taking on Kamaev at middleweight. Um I think we talked about, I haven't got the data to hand, but we talked about when we were discussing um, some of the fights last week, The where both of those fall in the rankings. I think Costa was six or seven, wasn't he? Seven, so, yeah, seven. Um, uh, Kamaev is getting a, um, a leap up and it falls, as much as I hate to admit it, in line with your view of, as opposed to me saying, Kamaev, nickel, fuck it, let's go for it. It's They are slowly building Kamaev and letting him have a fight against somebody slightly higher up the rankings. But um, I wanted to drop that in for you as a, as a little surprise. It's the right thing to do, uh, just sticking with Kamaev. I, I don't think, personally, it would benefit, as I said last week, and we won't get into it again, and, and anyone that wants to listen to that rant between us both can uh, listen to episode 48. But... Is that when I you think, threatened to knock me out? Yeah, and obviously you've been um, cowering in the corner ever since we mentioned that. But um, yeah, I think it's, it's the right thing to do. Kimaev will get slowly built up. You might see that fight um, in the future. You know, it might be a title fight, but there's just no real benefit, and certainly not financially and, and a, from a business standpoint, of putting them together and derailing one person's hype train when you can get them both rolling full steam ahead. Because it, it'll go through Costa. Uh, it's a bad matchup for Costa. I mean, Costa's yeah. heavy-handed. Uh, I do believe he is a black belt, but, you know, again, Kamaev is a different beast on the floor. Um, with Kamaev, he might be the most um, transparent and obvious fighter in the UFC in that you know he's going to come flying at you and take you to the floor. And there's very few people, if I'm being totally honest, bar Bo Nickel in that division that I could see could keep him off, keep him off him. So um, good bit of matchmaking, definitely building to make uh, Kamaev look good. And I think he'll absolutely smash Costa. Repeat our revenge for Oliveira and uh, Makai and Islam. I can only imagine a repeat, unfortunately. I'd like to see revenge. It would be very, very interesting to see what happened to the division and certainly what Volk would do following that. But well, yeah. I think that limit that does that that obviously limits Volk's options that we did talk about last week. Whether we said Islam, whether we said it would be Tapura, or whether we said Sterling would come up to try and go for the champ champ status. 
Um, obviously, that's off the table now, the Islam Volk fight. So that would probably, if I had to guess and be a betting man, that would probably put Chapura Volk next, maybe. And, give him it, give him it, because um, Volk will absolutely batter him. So see, see how that one goes. As I say, people sleep on Oliveira, incredibly dangerous off his back, which is where obviously Islam's world taking him down. I just Islam has what I would call the second most smothering ground game that I've ever seen after um, Khabib. And obviously he's Khabib's protege, learned everything, you know, Khabib is his coach. I'd love, I'd love, love to root for the underdog, but rinse and repeat, Islam wins again, I think. UFC London this weekend. Um, I'm not sure if you'll be watching it because you're too busy gallivanting down south, aren't you? Uh, ironically, not at UFC London when we could have gone, but ticket prices were absolutely horrendous. Um, are you still going to catch it, do you think? Well, out with the boys and I said, lads, UFC London's on. Let's find a bar to um, to watch it. Uh, the strip response I got back was, um, if they're showing it in the strip club, then fine. So um <laughs> tells you more about my mates that I'm going to see probably than their interest in fighting. Um, just as a little aside for you, on my way down, so I'm off to um, uh, meet a mate of mine, uh, Ben, uh, on uh, Friday night tomorrow. I'm driving down. Ben, uh, big, big uh, jiu-jitsu fan and was one of the main reasons that I first got into jiu-jitsu, uh, is a brown belt. Uh, I was planning to stay at his Friday night and then we were going to drive to Bournemouth together on um, Saturday. He suddenly drops into me yesterday get your gi out Abe and uh before um we 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 go to Bournemouth we'll go down to my mate's place so the, the man that as much as as much as I, I still fancy myself as uh uh having some jiu-jitsu skills it's been seven years since uh due to job changes etc I trained um I'm going to be rolling Saturday morning with a brown belt and a black belt so uh I might not even make it to uh Bournemouth with any limbs intact so I hope it uh, Ben and his mate take it easy on me I mean part of me would find it absolutely hilarious to see like you come back on Monday crutches hobbling along what happened I don't want to talk about it equally I fucking tap out a brown or a black belt mate you ain't ever hearing the fucking end of that (laughs) shit I can tell you and those get that I mean it's not going to happen that's 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 about as likely as uh John Jones losing to Stipe but um yeah, it should be interesting. Looking forward to it. It'd be nice to stick the gear on again and have a bit of a roll. And uh, again, one of the things you find in the jiu-jitsu community, no one is a motherfucker. None, neither of them will be trying to uh, snap my arm or take my head off. But um, I will be going 100%. They'll probably put in 10% and fuck me up hard. But yeah, looking forward to sticking the gear back on and having a bit of a roll. Start with main event then at UFC London. Um, as I said, we I think we would have gone had the the ticket prices not been outrageous as they were. Uh, obviously on the back of two eight six, very enjoyable. Would have liked to have been a bit closer. Thought the tickets would have been a bit cheaper for this, but outraged. And they're still not sold out, which says quite a bit about it. I had a look this morning, which silly really, and I think it'll put people off. But Tom and As- uh, Tom Aspinall almost a year. To the day after suffering a knee injury, he makes his long-awaited return to the ring, obviously in friendly territory, on Saturday, uh, July the 22nd. He's headlining the promotion's return to the O2 Arena. He is fighting Marcin Tibera. 
It's going to be a stand-up fight, this one. Can't see this one going to the floor at all. Um, Aspinall, obviously, by trade, is a kickboxer and very, very good. Excellent kicks and will be on his floor. Uh, on his feet, Tabura is more of a, probably a boxer by nature. Very, very powerful hands. Um, nine wins in his career by knockout for Tabura. Um, so I would imagine this one is, as you say, I can't see this one going to the floor. I think this is going to be one of those that um, gets the crowd going and is is going to be a, a, a bit a bit, bit of a slugfest, I would say. Um, should one, I mean, Aspinall's ground game, English fighters generally are pretty weak on the floor, as we know it's not. Uh, wrestling in particular is not something that is big in England or taught particularly well. There are a lot of good coaches. So if you had a route for uh, victory for Tabura, it would probably be to look to try and take him down and keep him down. But Aspinall is 6'5 and a fucking, you know, probably close to the heavyweight limit of 265. So um, good luck to Tabura on that one. Um, But definitely a fight looking forward to this one. Yeah, I mean, Tabura has been knocked out four times in his career. Three of them came between, I think it was like early 2018 to to late 2019. And as good as Aspinall has looked, for me, he's only had two notable victories, really. One against Volkov and one against Spivich. Uh, Both obviously very good wins, but it's not like he is making waves and going to be, you know, challenging John Jones next and going to spark out John Jones. And he's the one to be worried about rather than Pavlovich, etc. Um You'd be back in Aspinall. He is obviously the hometown fighter. I'll be back in Aspinall. Hometown fighter. It seems like one of those fights where a fighter's coming back after a long injury. UFCs have paired him up quite nicely with someone who he can spark out, cause a bit of a highlight and send the crowd home happy. Don't disagree, but I think it's a dangerous fight for him at the same time. I think Tabura is one of those that, again, correct me if I'm wrong, he might be on a five or six win streak he suddenly sort of found that peak bit of form after that little bit of a testing out period when he joined the uh, UFC and he got sparked out a few times he's definitely improved uh, and got a bit more durable so it's not not an easy fight but I would certainly be back in and hoping for an Aspinall KO or TKO yeah, um, Tibur is on a two match win streak but he's, he has won I think it is Something like nine or seven, maybe, of his last eight fights. Something silly like that. But he's yeah, done a good he's, one. He's definitely yeah, he, picked he's, up from that stretch, as you say, where he had a bit of a skid. And to be honest with you, you lose three out of four, um, you're usually pretty close to being cut by the UFC. Uh, I mean, heavyweight is a relatively thin division, so that might have saved him. And he'd been in one of the deeper divisions, like lightweight or bantamweight, maybe he would have been cut. But... Um, yeah, it's uh, definitely an interesting one. I agree with you that I feel like they've tried to set it up for a victory for Aspinall, but I certainly think it's a dangerous fight. Well, I mean, on staying on the subject of being cut, the co-main event is Meatball Molly McCann against Julia, uh, and again, butchering, Stolyarenko, I believe it is. And Stolyarenko has lost three of her last four with the UFC. She's probably fighting for a job here. If she loses again on Saturday, she's almost certainly going to get cut because that's how cutthroat this business is. Um, 
bad I, record as well, aren't you? Yeah, re- really 10, bad. 10, 8 and 2. That's not not a high caliber record. And again, even more than the Aspinall fight, this has to be set up for a, for a Molly win and to help try and rebuild her. Because obviously at one point she was the... Uh, a bit of a, the great white hope in the uh, in the division in terms of building the star English. Uh, you know, we know that there's not quite as many superstars, sadly, in the in the female division. Uh, even more so now with Nunez's retirement. So this one feels completely and utterly set up for Meatball Molly to destroy her. Yeah, I mean, I, I always argue that, in all honesty, I appreciate what she brings to the UFC and certainly as you say she is being built up as the next British women uh, British woman who you know might have some hope of bringing women into the sport and having someone to back and she obviously has aligned herself very much so with Paddy um I I don't think she's that good I, I know she's had a few highlight reels and obviously the spinning elbow KO was was outstanding but I just think she's roster depth, in all honesty. And I know it's a bit controversial to say, but she's six and four in 10 of her uh, fights in the UFC. Every time she fights someone who is lesser than her, she's obviously winning. Anytime she goes up a little bit, as you saw with Erin Blanchfield, she gets absolutely decimated. And I, I think putting her on a spot like this one in this type of card, hometown, absolutely get that hometown crowd behind her. I'm sure she'll pick up the win and, and I will be back in her again this weekend. But I don't think she'll ever be anything more than that, unfortunately. <laughs> the definition to me of, of what I'd call an English fighter, uh, I, 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 I've kind of mentioned about this before, that, that those people that they will beat the majority of people put in front of them. The moment they face the elite of the elite, they have a problem. I always give the perfect example for me. I know we're switching sports here, but but I'm going boxing. Ricky Hatton destroyed everybody. You put him against, at the time, two of the best fighters in the world, Mayweather and Pacquiao, and they absolutely destroyed him. And I would give that kind of analogy that she feels like that kind of level of fighter, that she's very, very good, certainly not to be slept on, and she's going to probably win more than she loses. But the moment you start putting her up against... The, the really big names. The only thing I would say is Blanchfield might be the most underrated prospect. It certainly in women's MMA, she is absolutely fantastic. And that was bad matchmaking on their part uh, in terms of if they were trying to build, if we're talking about the same analogy of um, uh, Kamaev and Bo Nickel and trying to build them both, that was a bad call by the UFC to put her up against Blanchfield because Blanchfield is, is super impressive. Very, very talented fighter. When you look at the difference between how they have dealt with Molly McCann and obviously I mentioned him a little bit earlier, Paddy Piblet. So Paddy the Baddy has been put against not necessarily poor opponents, but people that he should be doing well against and should be beating. He hasn't really been thrown in with anyone as of yet where you would think that is an absolutely outstanding win. He's going to be propelled onto bigger and better things. And I think they're protecting him. I don't like saying it and I hope I'm wrong. And I hope he goes and smashes the division, obviously, as a hometown fighter. But I just get the feeling he's one of those that they're wanting to avoid what's happened with with uh, Meatball Molly. Don't disagree with you uh, and, and agree. And I think, again, there'll be she, she's one that will be picked and 
you know, again, she she has a, got quite a, a racist following in England. Everybody loves her in England. She's got that kind of scouse charm, if you can put it that way, in the same way that, um, you know, Piblet has that, you know, a little bit of smack talk and the, the scouse accent adds to the kind of the intrigue with the smack talk. But um, I'd see her winning, but I, I think it could be a relatively... I, I think she'll win relatively easily, but not a first round fucking spark out, probably. Uninspiringly, I think is the best. It'll be one of those fights like, I'm glad she's won, but she's taken nothing away from it. Um, last fight I wanted to just mention, just because he's always won whenever he's on a card, you don't really know what you're going to get. And that's Paul Craig. So Paul Craig has got uh, Andre Muniz, I think his name is. Uh, obviously, Paul Craig is 35 now. He is uh, being a professional for nearly a decade. He's dropping down to middleweight for the first time. Um, I'm not a particular fan of when an aging fighter drops down a weight because if they're dropping down, you know, it can be very, very difficult to make weight. We've already seen a lot of fighters struggle and they're in the prime at this point in time. And he doesn't have power. He's not that type of fighter. He is obviously a submission specialist. But when he does pull off his submission specials, they're an absolute joy to watch. And I think he'll take a lot of punishment here. But if he can lock in a submission at any point, then it's always a highlight. See, I'm going to disagree with you on this one, only because he was never the biggest guy at 205. He was one of those guys that carried, you know, didn't have... You know, no disrespect to him um, because he'd arm lock the fuck out of me if he rolls, he rocks up at uh, Henley <laughs> on Thames on Saturday for a roll. But he carried a bit of body fat. I actually don't think he probably had to cut a huge amount. He was one of the type of fighters that there are certain ones that would he would fit perfectly. Rogan is a big proponent of extra divisions uh, within the weight classes. You know, one eight five to two oh five is a big jump. He would be a great addition to something like a 195 if they brought in a middle ground. And he he's the type of fighter for me that if he adjusted his lifestyle and his diet, it probably wouldn't have been too hard to drop some weight. I'm sure he's had to go through a, a relatively brutal cut, but I, I would disagree with you on that one because he was never the biggest 205er and carried around a little bit too much probably body fat. So if he, he concentrated a bit more on his CV, probably changed up his diet a little bit, I don't think it would be quite the savage weight cut that you would you would imagine someone dropping down that weight would be. But equally, I would 100% agree with you. Aging fighters, the, the older you get, the harder the weight cut takes and the toll it takes on your body. So it'll be interesting to see how he he deals with that. But um, I think he's one of those that that's a, actually a very sensible decision by him to drop down because he'll be a big middleweight whereas he was an undersized light heavyweight. Do you think he'll pull off a win? Because he's obviously coming off back-to-back losses. I've got to be honest, I don't know that much about Munez. I think, if I'm not mistaken, he's more of a, a knockout artist. Um, I mean, yeah. I think uh, he, he does, again, have a lot of submissions. Uh, again, you'd expect, as I believe he's Brazilian, so he comes from that jiu-jitsu background. Um, I've got here that of, of the, the 39 combined victories between two of them, 28 have come via submission. So you'd think this could easily end up in a ground battle. If it stays on the feet, you'd certainly be back in Munez because I think he's certainly more um, 
skilled in that area. If it goes to the floor, you know, both men have got got serious skills. But um, it would be nice to see Paul pull one off, and um, he has um, some some particularly savage arm bars and some very good setups for those arm bars as well. So tough one to call. Um, I'm going to go with it. I think Paul pulls it off by submission. Do you think the uh, hometown advantage, and I know he's from Scotland, but we treat it as the UK, don't we? So hometown advantage is going to do his uh, a good favour? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, we, we when we, we were there, there was a couple of Scottish fighters on the card and they received, given you could argue, you know, England-Scotland football match, there's a, a fair amount of hatred there that I think it would be fair to say that England and Scotland, there's a, a, a rivalry within the country like that, but you would definitely find in MMA circles like that, you're right, the home nations are kind of treated as one, Scotland and Wales, that, that you know, London English supporters would support them. So he'll certainly be the, the crowd favourite, that's that for sure. And I certainly remember, I think we were actually sat next to a couple of jocks when we were um, uh, at 286, weren't we, who were rooting for a couple of the Scottish fighters quite uh, vocally. So he'll definitely be uh, the crowd favourite. It just depends on uh, the game plan. And uh, again, if you were Muniz, you, you, your game plan would be to try and keep it on the feet, even if he doesn't have the greatest stand-up. Um, you know, the longer it stays on the feet, the, probably the, 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 the odds would favour him. If it goes to the floor, either of them have got the skills to put the other one out. But I could see, you know what you get with Paul Craig. He's going to try and take you down. Um, he reminds me very much the easiest example I can give. He may be a fighter you're not too familiar with because he was in um, the UFC a little while back. A guy called Paul Sass. Never heard of this guy. So English fighter. Um, absolutely sensational ground game. Uh, he won something ridiculous, like 14 fights in a row by triangle. So much so it got its own own name, which was the Sass Angle. Uh, and uh, Paul Craig very much reminds me of him in that you know what you're getting. He's going to try and take you down, and his favourite submission is the armbar. That's what he's going to be going for. Well, for those people who aren't going to be gallivanting off with their mates and not showing dedication to the sport, our coverage starts on TNT Sports. I think it's about 6pm the later prelims uh, will start and then the main card will definitely start at 8, I believe. But um, yeah, I'll definitely be catching it. Well, even for my mates, um, trying to rock up at a strip club at 6 o'clock ain't going to happen. So I'm sure I can convince them at least to try and find somewhere uh, to watch the early prelims. Um, the only thing I will say, Bournemouth is not renowned for its uh, quality of sports bars. Uh, obviously, I grew up there, so I know a few places, but every time I go, it seems to have changed fairly significantly. But I'm sure we can find somewhere. Uh, obviously, got uh, the steakhouse booked for eight o'clock. There's a lovely steakhouse we always go to. Um, so um, we will probably miss the main event being at the steakhouse, but I certainly think I can convince the boys to find somewhere before that to watch a couple of the fights. So I'm sure I'll see some of the prelims, but um, probably will miss the, the main card, I would have thought. True fans will watch it all. You can keep me updated. Ian, the takeover of Leeds United has finally been completed. It seems to have dragged on far longer than it should have done. The EFL, a bunch of knobheads. Um, the investment firm affiliated with San Francisco 49ers American football team has completed officially the takeover of Leeds United. 
Obviously, it was announced last month in June 2023 that an agreement had been reached between former owner, which was Ace of Ventures, controlled by some knobhead called Brad Rosani, and uh, 49ers Enterprises for the purchase of the football club and the US firm leg by, I always get his name wrong, I believe it's Parag Marate, uh, and 49ers chief executive Jed York initially purchased 15% of leads from Rosani in 2018, and their stake has increased over time. EFL, as I say, has now finally approved the sale, enabling the immediate transition of ownership. And of course, the entire point of this season is going to be tried to fight for promotion back to the Premier League so that we can play Liverpool again in Europe this time, though, in about two years' time. Good thing is, to be fair, it's been a bit of an ongoing saga, but um, they seem to have come in, seem to have done a bit of business. You've obviously been linked with a lot of players immediately. You made your first signing, haven't you, in Ampadu? Which I, I really rate is, uh, him. I think it's a really good championship signing, is that? Um, well, I mean, again, we've, we've discussed this, but I'll let you discuss it on the a podcast. Um, seems to be a versatile player, has been... Um, uh, played in a number of positions for, for Chelsea very rarely, obviously been out on loan many, many times to different countries as well. Um, you know, seems to be some disagreement, if that would be the right word, from coaches, whether he's a centre-back or whether he's a, a centre-mid. Uh, where do you think they're going to play him? I think they'll put him CDM. And obviously this depends entirely on whether Leeds go for another centre-back. I think there's obviously been links to Nat Phillips, and if we see Leeds take Nat Phillips on, Nat Phillips is playing centre-back, clearly. At that point, there really is only one position to put Ampadu, and that'll be defensive midfield, which is his best position by far. He's really creative. He is obviously better than Rodri at Manchester City uh, in CDM, and he will be the best Welsh player of all time. Um. That that might be. I can't believe that you ever tried to make fun and make your little notes down of me saying about Allison. He's better than Rodri, is he? Obviously a joke. Um, he is Wales' best player, though. In all fairness, obviously not Wales' best player of all time, but he's their best player at the moment for me. I don't think there's anyone, obviously, with Bale retiring on playing golf or doing whatever. I don't think there's much else there, is there? Well, you got Ramsey. I don't know if you could say, I mean, a fading force, admittedly, but I'm not sure you could say he was, he'd be better than Ramsey at this stage, but certainly has the potential. The only thing is he, he's always had potential. Uh, again, I was always aware of him because he was signed as a very young kid by Chelsea from Exeter. Obviously, I went to university in Exeter. Um, so I've always kept a keen eye. They have a nice little academy and put out a few sort of gems from there. Seems to have been around with Chelsea. I think I even dropped it in, did nine to a, uh, an episode a couple of we- years ago, a couple of, year, couple of weeks back. A couple back, of years ago. A couple of weeks back <laughs> that he actually was with, uh, as of a quiet at leaving, Chelsea's longest sight standing signing, but obviously no more. But um, I agree with you personally. I, I do think he is best as centre mid, is, is, is his better position. He's not a huge guy to play centre back. He's. he's I mean, he's not small, but I guess he's probably 5'10". So he's not the tallest to play centre-back. Uh, and I feel that he's better with the ball at his feet moving forward. But he does obviously give you nice options in terms of if you did have some kind of injury crisis and you needed, um, you know, uh, someone to drop back uh, or, you know, in a, in a short-term facility, he, he gives you those options. But I agree with you. And I think if you can, as it seems more and more apparent as time goes on 
that um, Tyler Adams will be stay, staying. I think that is a uh, absolutely, knock on wood. Uh, little absolutely fantastic double pivot for the champ for the championship. Then too, I think that is superb. Transfers then. Um, there's been quite a big one. We'll start with. Uh, Van Dijk has been transferred to Al Ittihad. <laughs> he is going to be earning 95 million euros a year, apparently. Um, what do you think to this, Ian? Nearly fucking cried last night, didn't I? I'm going to shout out. To... Thanks, Matt Joy, you cunt, sending me this fucking tw- tweet through saying, hey, what do you think Van Dijk's going? And I, all I quickly look at and I see Fabrizio and I'm like, no, we're fucking the Saudis are decimating us already. It wasn't until I sent it on to you and I said, this has surely got to be bullshit. It was then that I noticed it was Fabrizio Africano, the tweet was from, <laughs> uh, a man with one follower and the shadiest looking um, um, Photoshop of Van Dyke on someone else's, uh, on their whatever team it was, their kit I've ever seen. So the moment I sent it to you and said no, I instantly regretted it and knew you'd bring this up and rub, make me look a fool. But for a minute... For, for, for two or three minutes, I literally shit myself. The picture that this Fabrizio Africano has on Twitter is quite literally Fabrizio Romano with his hair shaved off and his skin has been altered to be a black man. Um, it might be one of the funniest things that you've ever sent me, Ian. And the fact that you were quite seriously, I think you'd put, no, <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> just one glance of it, it was just like, are you being serious here? And you're like, yeah, I oh, put, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it now. I put, no, I put, please be bullshit. And then three <laughs> seconds later, when I'd actually looked and read it, I put, there's no way we'd sell him. Your your exact response was, are you taking the piss? And then you sent me a picture of it for, of Fabrizio Africano following zero, zero followers. So, uh, I did admittedly get suckered again, but I am not. We know we, we, this is not. A, uh, uh, it's a recurring theme. I'm not social media savvy. I get these things through. I don't believe the majority of it anyway. But uh, I'm sh- uh, shout out to Matt Joy because I'm sure he enjoyed winding me up with that one and suckering me for the five minutes or so that I genuinely felt like crying. Funny every time. Um, on a serious note, Henderson. Looks like he is actually on his way to Al Etifak, which is Steven Gerrard's team. Twelve million pounds. Um, how much did you tell me you thought he'd be earning? Because I've, I've got the figures here. Seven hundred grand a week. I had no. So he is. I think that the confusion must be here, and it, it, this probably makes sense. That is a figure that's not necessarily correct, but it might be correct when I just go and tell you in terms of what he's actually earning. He's earning just shy of three hundred and fifty thousand a week, but it's completely tax free. Right. Okay. So maybe that worked out. I mean, I mean, he was one of our high owners. I'm, I'm pretty sure he was on best part of hundred and seventy or two hundred grand with us. So he certainly wasn't uh, on small wages with us. But as I say, when you you gross that up, and when you look in England, that that's fifty percent tax effectively. It equates to somewhere in the region of seven hundred grand. Um, Still personally feel that the fee's a bit skinny at 12 mil. I think given we know the Saudis have got money, we know that Stevie G would have been desperate for him. I was looking for 20 mil and I would have held, if I was Liverpool, I would have held pretty firm. And I think 
it might have been one of those ones that had taken slightly longer to go ahead than it has. But I think if we'd held firm, we could have got 20 for him and that would have been good business. 12 million feels a bit skinny. I wonder if that's as a, as part of a, a thank you for being the servant that he's been. As I said, I've never been his biggest fan. And the best thing about it for me, uh, this hasn't been confirmed as yet, but surely will be. Now, hopefully, my man Virgil will become come club, uh, club captain, which is what I've always wanted, and he should be. So, um, also concerning, just while we're talking Liverpool, um, ironically, Henderson did travel with the squad, even though this was going on to Germany. We had our, our first friendly last night, which we won 4-2 against Karlsruhe. We had a bit of a scare and going 2-1 down. Uh, and two last, two 90th minute goals from Jota put a bit of gloss on it. But uh, Fabinho also looks like he's off to Saudi Arabia, uh, rumoured 40 million fee. Um, that's what we paid for him, basically. Uh, again, been a great servant for the, for the team. I wouldn't sell him. I've got to be honest, I feel like selling those two uh, leaves us short. Um, we don't have an obvious um, replacement for him in the team at the moment, unless you're looking at Bayetic, which would be a very bold move by Klopp, I think. Um, so I can't help but feel we will be looking to reinvest those sums in a more established um, defensive mid to replace him. Well, I know that you have an interest in Decore at Crystal Palace. Have you seen, have you the seen what they valued him at? I was just going to say, have you seen the price tag? No, I'd rather, I'd rather go extra 70 mil is what I read. which you 70 get to 80, fucked. yeah. For that money, you can get Calcedo, who's twice the player Decore is. You can. And Have you seen? They've, they've knocked back a seventy-plus million-pound bid for him. They've been asking for, I think it's ninety-plus add-ons or a hundred in total. I'd pay that any day compared to that clown. Um, we have been linked again with Manu Kone uh, in Germany, who would would fit into that role. Um, and the the obvious other one who you would say is a replacement but is a young lad and it feels steep money is Lavia and, and I, if I had to be honest that, that would be the one where I would guess we would probably end up landing on would be Lavia at around 50 now I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing and what, what, what worries me personally when you take both Henderson and Fab out is that would potentially leave us with a full new three-man midfield. So you're gonna, I, I, I can't help but feel McAllister and Slobazai are gonna start immediately. So you've then got do you put Bayetic in, who's a young lad and at least got some first-team um, experience and knows and has played with the team, or do you put Lavia in? Um, but a, a, a complete three, you know, mid, midfield rebuild like that feels dangerous to me even though it's clear we needed that refresh. Where's Thiago in all this? Uh, Thiago will 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 swap, I would guess, with Slobazai. Uh, he's obviously ageing. I think he will take more of a um, coming off the bench role in the big games and playing in the cups and the games when players need a rest. Uh, still a very good player. Again, another one that's been linked with leaving. I definitely wouldn't let him go. Um, he is ageing. If, if we got crazy money for him, um, I could see it. But again, I feel like if you sold the th- them three, you're, you're in real trouble in terms of continuity from a Liverpool's midfield perspective. So uh, I would keep Thiago. He does only have a year left on his contract. So 
that will be running down and we do run the risk of losing him on a free next summer. But that for me, and he is one of our highest earners as well. He's on best part of 300 grand a week, I think. But I feel from a continuity aspect, uh, he has to stay if Henderson and Fab are both gone. Sticking with the Saudi Pro League then, because it seems like we can't get a week by without talking about them quite heavily in detail. A uh, few other ones. We've got Mane in talks with Al Nasir to join Ronaldo's team. Um, so obviously he joined from yourselves to Munich last summer for 35 million. That's gone horrendously. And God knows how much money they're going to get for him when that eventually does go through. And I think you called that. I think it was fairly obvious that there's no other move for him and money talks these days. Um, there was the Mitrovic saga. I don't know if you've seen this, but um, Mitrovic has told his family he will never play for Fulham again because they've denied him this this move to... He's throwing his toys out his pram a little bit, and neat, but I I do... Fit, I, 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 I mean, fair play to Fulham. Fulham. Fulham have taken the stance that I think Liverpool should have taken with... Um, Henderson, in this is our valuation, 20 million or you don't get him. I think, if I'm not mistaken, and by all means correct me, Fulham have valued him at 52 million, which does seem a little bit on the steep side, but it feels like they're playing the game. Look, we know you've got a shitload of money. If you want him, you can have him. This is our money. But um, I don't like, I've never been a fan of when players throw the toys out their pram like that. And, um, you know, I'm never going to play for him again. He's obviously putting Fulham into a bit of a dangerous position and they're going to have to end up selling him if that's his, his stance and they're probably going to end up having to take less than the 52. The only question I would ask you, seeing as you sound a bit more knowledgeable on this one than me, what was the latest bid? Was it around 25? Uh, yeah, it wasn't anywhere near the, the 50 that they're uh, potentially valuing. I think it were about 25, 26, something like that. Um, what I did kind of find quite funny, I think it's Al Ali, the team that were after him. Have you seen how they've responded to these knocked back bids and what they're doing now? No. They are stealing Fulham's manager. Uh, Marco Silva has been offered £40 million in a two-year deal to join them as manager. Um, I, I think he's got Christ. like a £6 million release clause, so obviously all they need to do is trigger it. And he's in talks with him, which I think he wants the move as well. Twenty million a year to be a manager in a I mean, public. I mean, I mean, I, I've never, I, I don't ever recall any sporting venture them going all out like they are. Um, you know, the Saudis. You can't fault them for for trying. I mean, you know, they're 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 like China on steroids, aren't they? What China did. China took a few players. They've gone absolutely balls out. Um, I did also see, just because you mentioned Mane, it was Al Nasser that he was linked with. They are in talks and I think close to completing a deal for Alex Tellez, uh, the Brazilian left-back from Man U. And all of a sudden, I tell you, what we will certainly do is um, uh, um, a revised double tap uh, at the end of the transfer window. But there is going to be some of these teams are going to have, on paper, outstanding teams. You know, you, you could easily have four or five of these um, Saudi teams that have got four, five, six household and very, very good players in their team. And I think it, it will work what they're doing, which is to get 
TNT Sports, BT Sports, someone like that to buy the rights to watch them. I can't recall the time difference in terms of Saudi Arabia. How I don't think it's, I think it may be what, two or three hours ahead. Uh, and again, I don't know how, whether they would be clever in that they might change the structure of the games. So let's say, for example, but they put the games on a Tuesday night. There's no other games on a Tuesday night. People are going to tune in and watch it, aren't they? So that that will be an interesting bit for me. How they then work out the games because if they're 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 going to be competing with um, teams uh, in England and Spain and the big leagues, no one's going to give a shit. If they're quite clever about the timing and when they put those games on, football fans like us, as much as I hate to say it and hate to see what they're doing, I'd probably tune in. I watch Dutch football. I stick on a bit of the Italian football. Some of these these transfers go through and, and these, I'd quite happily probably stick a few of their games on and have a little gander, see what it's like. It's two hours in front, I believe. So it's not that far off and it might become your new betting league. It might be the one that you go to to smash your bets on if there's no one else on. Absolutely. Uh, always on the lookout for, uh, uh, you know, a new league to have some bets on. Um, have bet on the Saudi league before because you do have Al Nasir and Al Etihad smashing everybody else. Very two clear, very favourites, and you, but you get pretty poor odds. Um, but it's it's obviously a saga unfolding, and it's uh, it's an interesting one to to keep an eye on. And um, I'm sure, sadly, there will be many, many other very, very good players ending up there before the end of the transfer window is over. It's funny you should say that because Al Etifak, I'm just reading here, um, in talks for arguably one of the best Premier League strikers you've ever seen. Mikel Antonio is in talks. I to did join. see that <laughs> one. I did. See, I did. I'll be honest, I did see that one that Gerard was going. Not again. Not being funny. He's going to tear that shit up in that league. Put him up against two Saudi Arabian centre backs, and it'll be a goal machine. You know, he's thirty-three. I think I read. So he, he, he's getting on. And I mean, again, like we said, don't hate the player, hate the game. Someone of that coming towards that stage of their career. As much as he's still probably the main man at West Ham and proved that, despite them spending a shitload of money on, on Samaka, he, he was still banging him in. He would be a goal machine in that league. And if they're going to offer him 250, 300 grand a week, good luck to the lad. Fair play. Last bit on transfers then. Uh, Andre Onana has completed his medical and has just been announced as a Manchester United player. I think they're paying just shy of 45 up front with 3.5 in add-ons. Do you know how they announced him? Do you know what the tweet says? Is it your really shitty joke about Rihanna? It is indeed. It says, what's my name, with uh, some uh, music notes. So clearly, uh, they're getting their marketing from the best podcast in the world. And you could argue, again, Inter, I know Inter did have some issues I'd read about financial fair play. They have been strongly linked with Lloris from Tottenham. Obviously, I was on a free and uh, their their backup keeper, Hadanovic, always a very, very good keeper and has been for for 20 odd years, is about 39 or 40. Um, I wouldn't like having two keepers of 37 and, 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 and 40 but equally, you can't argue with the business from a financial fair play point of view of getting 50 million in for your keeper and replacing him with a free transfer who Larice probably has a year or two left in him. So you could argue that's relatively shrewd from Inter if that comes to fruition. 
Did you catch any of the King Pin boxing this weekend? Did you catch any of the netball on TV? Why on earth would I watch that nonsense? And I can't remember what it was. I was, I was, what was it? We both had Saturdays to ourselves for some reason. I can't remember why. I'm sat there. I'm looking for something to do. And do you know what I decided to do? I think every, I think I might have mentioned this before to people. I'm a bit of a shark geek. If there's a good shark fucking film, I'll watch it. So there was, I noticed uh, on uh, available uh, the, the Black Demon, which is a, a, a film, uh, a rather ropey Meg blag of uh, a shark about a Megalodon. I said to text you to say, I'm watching this. You told me you were watching that absolute nonsense. I think uh, I replied the, back with a video of someone getting their tits out. Uh, you did. and uh, It seems that she got a little bit carried away in her victory. Uh, did she not? And has gotten a little bit of trouble for it. She has. So this Kingpin boxing is one of a number of influencer boxing scenes and promotions that have come up. Obviously, none as big as Misfits, which is the one that KSI is involved with. But Kingpin boxing has been doing a tournament, essentially. So it was the semifinals and there's been fights before that led up to the semifinals in what is essentially a knockout um, promotion. Um, One of the fighters was called Daniela Helmsley. And she, it was in, in Dublin, and I think the actual undercard, or the, the main event of the card, sorry, was Anne, Eason, Gibb, and Jarvis. Again, I, I can't profess to know anything about them. Um, Daniela Hemsley had a fight with Miss Danielka. And after she obviously was a fantastic win, it was one of the best fights I've ever seen putting women's boxing on the map, et cetera, et cetera, all that nonsense that isn't actually true. She decides to make headlines by celebrating a victory by quite literally pulling a top over her head and getting her tits out. Um, Loads of attention, obviously, drawn to the event, but alongside that attention, an unrivaled amount of criticism. Eddie Hearn came out and did an interview with Boxing Social in which he said, my opinion is that I hate it. We've worked so hard for women in boxing to be respected for their ability, for their merits, for their hard work. One thing we must understand is this ain't boxing. Needs to be pushed, all that stuff. Uh, Misfits, kingpin, all that stuff. Uh, But it needs to be booted so far away from professional boxing. We really need to dissociate ourselves with what it is. Unfortunately, we live in a world where role models or influencers are not necessarily doing things that the older generation, which I class myself as, or parents would want their kids to see or think is acceptable. Um, And there's a a bit that you'll like. We live in a fucking mental world. Unfortunately, clout is being chased all over the place to each their own. She did apologise eventually. She essentially said that she was just trying to express herself. Uh, You'll be shocked to know that she has an OnlyFans account, and that is what she's famous for. And it appears that Kingpin actually agrees with Eddie Hearn because the promotion released a statement apologising for the incident and declaring that she will not be competing on the upcoming card or in the foreseeable future. I mean, everyone knows my views on uh, this influencer boxing bullshit. It's not boxing. It's a joke. Um, Two points I have made to you and I will make on the podcast just for the sake of it. Um, One, uh, uh, is it really surprising if she's an own, she's effectively a porn star putting on boxing gloves that she then gets her tits out. Does that, that doesn't actually surprise me in the slightest. 
I said the only analogy I could think of, um, can you imagine AJ? Because I think wasn't her excuse. Or it got the, the heat of the moment got to me and I got a bit excited. Can you imagine AJ knocking out Klitschko, pulling his pants down, whapping out his wang and just saying, oh, sorry, I don't know what happened. I got, I got a bit too excited. It's ridiculous. And even the excuse of I got a bit excited is nonsense. It's clear, 100% self-promotion, and quite rightly, she should be booted off. People are watching this, and the sad thing that frustrates me as an old-school person is this influence of boxing isn't being watched by boxing fans. It's being watched by kids. What the fuck is that teaching kids? You know, if, you, if you've got a young daughter and then you hear that, as a, she's clearly no role model, but are we... What, are we now saying it's okay to flash as a way of expressing yourself? I, I, again, I, I, I could rant on 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 this topic for for a while, and you can probably hear in my voice the frustration with it. But I think it's absolutely nonsense. And hope I'll be honest with you, I actually quite like when this stuff happens because every time it chips away very slowly at any remote element of credibility this nonsense has so hopefully more and more of this nonsense happens and less and less places like the zone and tnt sports will will, will put it on and say we're not risking some porn star whapping her tits out after she's won anyway if you want to see that video it's all over twitter so uh (laughs) ian's fuming but he's watched it about 14 times some proper boxing then uh your or i mean we've talked about it before and he still seems to go under the radar. I don't know if you'll agree with me on this. Neo Inoue, the monster, is making his super bantamweight debut against Stephen Fulton Jr., uh, effectively known as Cool Boy Steph, which I always love that nickname. Uh, it is for the WBC and WBO super bantamweight titles, and it will take place, strangely, on the 25th of July, which I believe is a Tuesday. Um, Fulton is an undefeated fighter. He has a record of 21 and naught. He has eight KOs. His last fight was just over a year ago, um, and he won it via a 12-round unanimous decision. Inouye also comes in with an undefeated record of 24 and 0, 21 KOs, and his last fight was against Paul Butler about uh, seven or eight months ago. And obviously, we covered that on this podcast, and he knocked out Paul Butler. He's moving up. Will his power transfer, Ian? 100% and he absolutely smashes him. Um, I mean, I can see, I, I think we had a bit of a chat. You maybe said that you thought it might be a, a late KO. I think he fucking puts him away in four or five easily. For me, whenever Inoue is concerned, and I, I know you are a massive fan of his and you want him to keep moving at weights, and we've talked about the fighters that are able to do it and they're very uh, wanting a generation. As long as his power transfers, I don't think it matters what weight class he's going into, I would be backing him. And I, I have put the late KO because Fulton Jr. isn't by any means uh, a walkover. He is a very, very good fighter. But Inoue's power is scary and will continue to be scary, I believe. He's the closest thing I could say uh, uh, as a, a comparison to that I've seen in a long time to Pacquiao. That power just transfers up. One of the benefits of the lower weight classes like that when they transfer up is obviously the relatively small difference in weights. So I think um, until you get up to 140, 
it moves up in five pound weight uh, increments. One forty, you start to go up at seven pounds. Then it can go eight pounds, and, and you know, as you, as you go to the heavier weights. But I believe he's only fighting five pounds heavier than he normally does. There is not a chance in the world that that power doesn't translate. And um, he adds these titles to his record. Uh, I would like to see him then. I don't know. I've got to be honest, I haven't done my homework here. Who holds the other two belts in that division? Maybe a nice little unification uh, fight um, uh, at that round. Take those and then bang, move up a division again. You could see it happening, couldn't you? If he takes out um, Fulton Jr., I I think he will go on once again to become undisputed. He is such a class above to any fighter I've seen around that weight class. And I know you want him to keep moving up. I'd like to see it. I'd like to see him do it and, and just keep going. And just until he hits that wall, essentially. He just does that. The, I love his variety of fighting as well. He, he's one of the few fighters, I would say, along with Lomachenko, that clearly values the, the, the destructive nature of a good body punch. You know, you see him chucking in liver punches and body blows which I think are massively underutilized ultimately in boxing. You know, you, you know, there's been a few recently, I can't remember the, the, the main one we talked about that we did say was a bit of an early stoppage um, in one of the fights. Was it Rodriguez that got put down with a liver shot? Didn't look that powerful, but bang, you nail someone on the liver. That is almost an immediately crumpling someone. And Anui has a incredible range of, boxing ability in terms of switching from the head to the body up and down when you're then covering up it'll hit you in the head and you start to cover your head up you're leaving yourself exposed at the body you start digging in those 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 rib shots um absolutely fantastic for me easily top three pound for pound in the world for me and i think he i'll be honest i think he could go up at least two or three more weights before he, he remotely comes close to that wall he is getting on a bit, so you would say that time isn't against his side. If he is going to start doing that, he's going to need to start adding some mass to his relatively small frame because I can't imagine he has to cut much, if at all, for his weight classes. He's quite a um, slim fella. Doesn't look like he has to go through a, a grueling weight cut to meet his weight. Uh, so I would like to see him bounce up. But that that's the fight for me take these two belts, unify that division, go up again. Yeah, I think Marlon Tapales is the only other champion in the division. I think he holds the WBA and the IBF. So he wins this, he wins that next fight, and then he goes up again. And I think he'll keep doing so. Agreed. And as I say, Pacquiao was eight weight, uh, an eight-weight world champion. You could easily see Inoue following that path. You say everybody hits a glass ceiling and that there will come a point where that power will start to diminish as he fights the bigger guys that are cutting weight as well. But I think he's got a good two or three weights in him yet before that happens. Well, that's all for this week. I will inevitably, while you're off down in Bournemouth, uh, some strip club. What were the name of the strip clubs, by the way? What were the two names? We, uh, I don't know if I should disclose those because I might get mobbed by fans in there. We have... Uh, <laughs> We have uh, given him a bit of free publicity as well. Uh, we have Theo, affectionately known, uh, is the nickname, For Your Eyes Only. Uh, and Wiggle are the two strip clubs in Bournemouth. Uh, Wiggle sounds odd. I don't, I don't like that one. For Your Eyes Only is quite a clever little acronym. 
wiggle sounds suspect. Very, very suspect. Uh, While you're down there, um, I'm sure not doing anything that you shouldn't have done or shouldn't be doing, I will be most likely getting pissed and live tweeting on UFC London. So keep her out for the tweets. If it just divulges into absolute nonsense, you'll know it's because I've had my uh, second beer of the night. But other than that, thanks very much for listening all, and we will speak to you next week.